0: What's up everyone? This is Dr. Clay G. Bay Lamberts <sighs> recording live from the My Blackest Transnational studio, but this isn't really a, a podcast episode. I mean, this is, I don't even know what this is. This is a response. This is a vent session. This is me feeling like I should do something, but something you know, along the lines of what I'm good at in addition to everything else, but um. I mean I, I know everybody knows what's going on. I mean, everybody who's in tune with the world knows what's going on. and I it, it had to take me a couple of days to to really process and see what's going on and I've been on Instagram and social media reposting and trying to you know still raise awareness. And and I mean, so I, I'm getting on this video to to not talk about everything else that's already being talked about, at least to a certain degree, because there's a redundancy there. And, and even though sometimes repetition is the key to learning, I think in this case, it's important for me to at least put, to, put in perspective what's going on as far as a reaction from a transnational perspective, right? I, I mean, I think there's a lot of reaction that's happening as far as for those who are on the ground or for those who you know um are who have family down there and and their responses but how is it affecting us and why does it matter to us who are in the diaspora and who are essentially in, in one land but still heavily affected by what's going on in our native homeland again for those you know for my transnationals my dual citizens for my bicultural individuals who have a strong connection to Nigeria and Africa. I mean, we're, we're experiencing a, a level of vicarious trauma that we may have never ever experienced before, at least in our generation, in our lives. And what we saw on Tuesday on Instagram Live was one of the most inhumane, disgusting, and egregious acts of just war and crimes against humanity that we've ever seen at least that i've ever seen i'll speak for myself don't get me wrong there have been some heinous things that have been done in other parts of the world but the way in which it was done the premeditation behind it speaks volumes it shows and it tells just what has been essentially been the theme of 2020. i think if we really take everything into consideration, we realize that this year in itself and all the atrocities that have come along with it has allowed us to really as human beings sit back because we had no choice. We had to be quarantined in our homes and we had to get to sit back those who were fortunate enough and get to really witness the darkness that resides in the heart of man. Like, you really get to see it. You see it permutate. And, and, and then it begins to demonstrate because, like, evil in itself cannot be... It, can, it has to move. It cannot stand still. It has to be active. Like, you have to see people just act in hate, in anger, in jealousy, in, in, in negativity, in violence. And we get to see it being demonstrated in, in, in full force. We get to really see it be be shown to the world, right? The world was watching on Tuesday, and we saw, I mean, I saw, I saw men die. I saw women die. The light's out. Just like that. People who weren't supposed to die that day. So, okay, I mean, that's that's my general feeling, but what I'm really here to say is that from a transnational perspective, we're hurting. I mean, we are hurting because again, we are stuck and suffering vicarious trauma, not just here in America as black people, but also seeing our family members, friends, a loved ones get killed. We're suffering trauma there as well. The reality is that wherever we go, this, this SARS thing that everyone is worried about is still saying, this, the end SARS tag, that shit has been dead for a minute. That end SARS thing, we understand what the movement was, but that SARS thing was, was squatted, right? Like They, they squatted SARS in like days. Obviously, we knew that was like, that was just a facade. But... That whole idea of the SARS movement, we know what it was about. It was about exposing the corruption. It was about exposing the fact that, listen, people who look like me, young Black people who have the gumption to be able to express themselves, the gumption to be able to consume things that are not necessarily considered in the within the realm of what people are considering the standard of appropriateness. Us not realizing that this level of appropriateness that I consider the standard is more so affiliated to whiteness. But that's the white supremacy thing that I'll touch upon a little bit. But the idea of you as a black person having dreads or having an iPhone or having nice looking clothes or having a nice car, there that 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 stereotype, that typecasting, that profiling that happens that you're immediately accused of something that you cannot, as a young black person, be have, have the, the, re, the real ability to truly earn those accessories and, and, and devices that you had to have stolen it. That you have to be a thug, you have to be a fraud, a, a, a frauder, an internet scammer. Like in order to engage in, in, in any level of success, as a young black person that that is what you have to be and therefore you are a criminal the reality is that if you look if you really paint the picture of the people that the sars the sars um the robbers these 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 those the real thugs the, the sars police if you really think about who they're targeting and then you really paint the picture of who's being targeted in the United States or even in parts of, of, of Europe or London, wherever, there are lots of black people that migrate. They're the same people. They're literally the same people. Think about it. They the, the whole this whole idea of of the fight against the, the, the idea of hip hop, right? And and, and coolness and how coolness by black people has to be associated with crime. But it's only good when we want to, when other people, white people or other races want to consume it for their entertainment. But anytime it becomes closer to the reality, it becomes a form, it becomes something of a form of intimidation, something that scares them, forms a threat, right? The idea of the super predator, think about what that idea was and think about who fit that description. And think about who's being attacked now. Same people, same idea, same notion. Young black man, you have your earring on, young black woman decides to look a certain way, maybe have dreads, look, look. you wanna look cool, you wanna look like what you see in the Western world, or what you consider or you, you admire, the bravery of others in that Western world that want to look cool. I want to look hip. I want to look fly. I want to look fresh. To have that, there has to be there's something. There's something in that person, that officer's mind, that looks at you and believes that in their heart of hearts, that there's no way that you, this black person, truly earned it. That you can afford it. There's no way because you have to. The baseline is that you have to fall in line with the poverty. That everyone else must be in the gutter as well. There's no way that you can make it without I have stolen that money. And there's the same thing in America. No young black person, you're driving a nice car, how did you get it? You must have stolen it. There's no way that you had that. There's no way that you earned that. The global pandemic that's really going on is, is something that's not even a pandemic anymore, more than something that's endemic. Like, there is a real, real issue that we are beginning to see now. That black, black people, black men, black women, black people are the most criminalized human beings on earth. Anywhere you look in the world, anywhere you look in the world, Think about those who are suffering. Think about those who are attacked, abused. And I'm not talking necessarily for religion. I mean, religion is a different type of bigotry that that happens with people. But I'm talking about just, if we're talking about class, if we're talking about appearance, if you are talking about those who are forced to be in servitude and oppressed, 95% of that population will comprise of people who are dark-skinned or black. You want to talk about in Brazil? Go look it up in Brazil. My brother, Dr. Bryce Henson, can call and tell you all about that, what's happening with dark-skinned Brazilians over there. Anywhere in the world, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Haiti, Like, what's happening there? Like, what hurts the most is that it's your own people. With Nigeria, it's your own people. It's your own people that's doing this. It's your own people. Black people. Why are we so cruel to ourselves? Why are we crueler to ourselves than the ones who oppress us? Why does it take an intervention in order to get us to love one another? It takes a net of forced, implemented, designed intervention for us to love ourselves. We have, been, we have been educated and conditioned from colonial times, from slavery, to hate ourselves and treat ourselves no better than our oppressors, than the colonists that invaded our spaces years and years ago. I mean, that's where we're at because there's no way that you see your people suffering and you you open that type, that level of fire. You open machine guns from tanks on your own people who are looking for the same thing that you, officer, are striving for, which is freedom, resources. But you know what has happened? What has happened is that this, this, this issue, this, this tra- tragedy, has shown one thing about leadership, is that the leadership that we have come to know for so many years has never been true leadership. I mean, the reality is that we only know how to lead based off of how we were treated as slaves, as servants. We only know how to be abused, therefore we abuse. We only know about leadership based off of how we responded to the way those who consider themselves our masters treated us. While they have gone on to be able to get levels of, of, of training expirations and trials and eras when it comes to the, the idea of leading men, leading armies for the betterment of civilization, and growing civilization and winning the hearts of men. I mean, you wanna reach the Prince Machiavelli. I mean, you wanna you, you look in, look into the, the literature that goes out there to really educate humankind on how to lead humankind. And yes, there may be some that may be written in Black history, but the fundamental instinctual reaction and behaviors on how to lead among Black people, especially in colon, formerly colonized nations is lacking and is consistent across the entire continent. Africa is a fucking cesspool. It's a goddamn cesspool. And it's not getting better. The reality is that these people, what happened in Leki Lagos was a response out of pure embarrassment. Niggas was embarrassed. I mean, that's just what it was. The government was embarrassed because, you know what, they realized that these young people that they're attacking that they believe are are stupid and and thieves and thugs and th- they can't earn anything unless they stole it. These young people showed the world they know how to properly organize and they know how to make a difference. Nigerian youths came together from all over the world. when we going to talk about this transnational feeling. You have so many Nigerians who, are, who have gone to go do great things, in the diaspora, going to other parts of the world, and done great things, who are doing great things now, young and, and, and older, who who in their hearts of heart want to come home. They want to come home. There's no Nigerian or anybody who's even a, a child of a Nigerian, who, who has been to Nigeria and, and tasted and enjoyed Nigeria, who does not want to come home to visit, to spend some time there, to contribute back home, there's no one. It's few and far in between. That person who left had a traumatic experience. But other than that, there's no one, myself included, who does not want to go home and do something for their own home to see Nigeria rise. And they show, you saw these young people come together, contribute, and they, they, they organized. They organized in a way that people were shocked not unable to not able to realize that this is what we've been we having inside of us all throughout. This is the potential that we've had and shown other parts of the world for years and years and years. And when it comes to our country, we decided to rise up. People decided to rise up and show them and organize. And that's how you decided to respond. Do you know what that is? What is that, what's that? was different than the whole idea? This 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 burgeoning hunger for respect and entitlement. See, the reality is that. And respect is cool. Anything is cool in this world. But when you do too much to the point where it starts to consume you and and, and, and infect you, it becomes toxic. And the thing about us Nigerians, we joke about it sometimes amongst ourselves when we're having this conversation about grown up immigrant and all those things. We talk about it on respect. You walk into the room, you don't greet me. You can be in a hut. You can be in any of the poorest of slums. Wake up in the morning, you see your parents, you greet them. Right? And that's cool, right? Respect your parents or be obedient. But then you go all of a sudden, you see somebody that's older, two blocks down that you don't even know. That person might be looking at you some way and you don't greet them. That'll become something because they feel like they senior you. So that means they have to do something. And that can become something that can trickle down to something very terrible. One of the things that we don't talk about a lot is this idea of jungle justice. I was talking to my brother about this like two days ago about jungle justice and i talked to one of my good friends one of my good friends um and the idea of just taking things into your own own hand right this 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 vigilante mentality that happens in nigeria a lot where if you steal right people can just put you in tire light you up and burn you up like that straight like that nobody's talking to your parents nobody's talking to anything just fuck you up just like that no trial no jury if they say you're guilty, you're guilty. That's it. They beat you. They stone you. time you're almost damn near losing consciousness, that's when they wrap you up in tire and they burn you. I've seen videos. My G's. Jungle justice. Again, why are we so cruel to ourselves? To that manner. That we don't even, we've, we, we become so conditioned to abuse and beat and destroy and dismantle ourselves so much that we can do that that we can take one of our own, put them in tires and burn them alive. The way the white man would do us for stealing something out of the house. We would do the same thing. We don't even give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Where does it come from? We don't even believe in giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. To even believe that there's even there's even potential enough, we have to re-educate ourselves and, inter- and go through some level of intervention in our education journey, in our academic journey if we get that far to be able to learn, whether it's even some spiritual training and learning, to be able to realize how to be naturally, instinctively good to one another as a Black community. As I said, this thing is a transnational trauma for us because we are learning how to sympathize and empathize and build bridges with our brothers and sisters who are being abused here by the police in America. We're trying to figure out how to solve that. We're still trying to find justice there. And, you know, we talked about in the first episode, in my first episode of the podcast, and it's like, yo, how do we, okay, can we just go home? How? We're going home to the same thing. It's your own people because people like us who are westernized, the belief is that we have money, that we're doing well. So if we're coming back to Nigeria, us, that we're more educated, and we're, you say not more educated, I shouldn't say that, but we're, we've been exposed to a more civilized nation, We've seen things that maybe that that make a little bit more sense as to how people have rights and can use their rights. And by the time we come back and we're able to have a a certain level of of, of freedom and expression, then you see the SARS police people pulling up on you, asking you to see your phone. And the first thing that you say, why do you want to see my phone? Right? And that becomes disrespectful. Again, that hunger for respect because I have the gun. And they'll shoot you just because you don't open your phone. They'll shoot you because you look a certain way and you feel like you've been attacked. Imagine. Do you know how awkward sometimes it is when you see someone that has an American accent talking to somebody who's older and has an accent and you're in Nigeria and you're just like, oh my God, you don't even know. This guy doesn't even know what's happening right now. This like That happens a lot to me when I'm watching people, people who are more Americanized talking to maybe a Nigerian, Nigerian person there. And they're they're trying to have a conversation, that person is speaking to that person, and there's this weird, complex interaction that's happening. That's that then that in itself, can if you're confronting or being confronted by a SARS police officer, that can be problematic. Like I can die because me, I have a mouth, right? Like, so I can and I don't I, don't, I know how to play my role, but me, I, there's some things I'm just like, why? Doesn't make any sense. I'm, i I I think too logically, and I'm just like this doesn't make any sense. Why are you looking for my phone? What does it have to do with anything? And I can say something like that just off an of instinct, and for sure they can beat me, abuse me, and it's one of my greatest fears—not to be beaten by them, but to just un, to be bothered. That's one of my biggest concerns when it comes to trying to build this bridge as a transnational Nigerian. I always talk about that with my wife, or even sometimes with my my family members, because the fortune I was fortunate enough to have a father who was who served in the Nigerian Navy. So when sometimes we go somewhere, and we travel, and we're going through places, my dad could just be like, yo, I'm Commodore Lambaz. he be like, okay, so, okay, so. and do this. But, like, I always would ask myself, like, yo, my pops, he's not going to live forever. He's not going to live forever. And me, I've been out, out of Nigeria for years, and I come back once in a while, but I'm always with him or my, my parents. My mom, C2, had military, Navy connections, too, so they're like, yes, mom. Same thing, right? It's like the police tries to bother because the night the military military run shit back right there. Still to this day, even though we're not in military rule anymore, the military still has that effect. Rifles and shit, right? That authority. So I'll be like, "Yo, my pops, he passed away now, man. I'm trying to live my life in Nigeria. What would I do?" I mean, there's some people who do it, but like you're driving, you're just trying to go from one place to another. I know people who are in Nigeria who are maybe watching this who like. When you go to Nigeria and you're trying to just drive somewhere, someone will stop you. Let me see your particulars. And they're looking for money. They don't know they want anything. They just see a nice car. They see somebody young in the car. They're just like, yo, what's up? Let me stop you. Let me see a let me see a driver's license. Let me see this just to disturb you. Just because they say, look, just because the corruption in our system is so deep now that it becomes becomes like paying a toll. That you're not supposed to pay, but you're just paying a toll. Like imagine if you're driving like on the on a highway and the police stops you. Right? And for those in America, you're just driving on the interstate. And the police stops you and it's like, let me see your license. Yeah, man. Oh, what's wrong with your tires? Oh, why are your tires like this? And you're just like, yo, my car is fine. Like I went through the inspection and everything. And everything they're just doing is just to get money from you. You know what I mean? So, so you can, so you can like so they can leave you alone, right? But they want to get their own daily bread because they're not making that much money as well. So that's the only daily bread. Like, so they're just gonna do that. So it becomes problematic. The corruption in our country the corruption in nigeria has become interwoven in our culture and this is a product of white supremacy because again you have so many people nigeria is one of the richest nations naturally in the world so many resources but yet it's the poverty the poverty, the poverty rates are so high, it makes no sense. The, is, the disparity, the, dis, is, the discrepancy is ridiculous. When you realize, when you look at the numbers and you just look with, with regular eyes, fresh eyes, and you just see like, wow, rich people are at the top, at the bottom. And the people who are rich and leading this country are nowhere near qualified as those who are struggling to get a job and oppressed here. The president of our country has a sixth grade level education. Imagine. And the people who have PhDs, who've gone and get their law degree, they're struggling. Struggling to get a job. And when they get a job, they get, they get nice clothes that's sent from their family members in the US. And they get a laptop that their cousin who came from, the, from America in December brought to them. And they're using it because they're happy and blessed. They one day take it out, going to work, or going to do something with a friend, and the police stops them. Looks at their laptop and asks them, Why did they get this? And you never know. They take them, they hide them, take them to a cell, they bury them somewhere, they beat them, they extort them for money. And the people at the top who are running things, again, the white supremacists have already instilled in us this ability for us to say, look, if you want a piece of this plate, if you want some, some of this food, this food that we got on the table, you're going to have to kill your brother. So you give, you, you, you pay the police, you underpay them, you put them in very, very uncomfortable situations, you, you, you train them at the point to go hunt you give them rifles. You police officers don't carry regular guns in Africa. They carry AKs, heavy artillery guns, and you say, "Go hunt, go hunt." Your brothers say, "If you want to eat, you you kill what you eat." That's what happens. So sometimes you look at the police and you're like, "Yo, can we? You, you know, how do you really blame them compared to blaming the system because they're just as hungry as you, but they have the gun." And they're gonna get their food in any way possible. We have been conditioned to not love ourselves enough. We have been conditioned to treat each other, similar to how my boy Trey was telling me when he came through the other day. About if anyone's ever watched Django, and when you see that Leonardo DiCaprio scene when the Mandingos are wrestling, and he's like, yo, like, why is he still breathing? Who told you to stop? Like, that was a very powerful scene. Right? And, it, and it applies it applies to the same situation as far as how we and our leaders have not, they do not know nothing else but to kill yours or to starve your own people in order for you to eat. They've never had, they've never had the ability to be able to distribute resources equally. They did the idea of a democracy, that idea of, of having sovereignty, sovereignty, I should say, sorry. They should have sovereignty. And, 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 and a real properly working electoral system and real properly working infrastructures that allow for people to be able to achieve their dreams, they'll never allow. They'll never allow the young to grow, which is why the young stood up and fought. And this isn't just happening here. It's happening all over the world. For Black people, when Black people come together and stand up People will go to whatever lengths they have to go to to keep us down. Which is why it's important for African Americans, for African immigrants, whoever. Wherever you are, understand. Yo, and I know sometimes I'm kind of rambling. I didn't write any script or anything. I'm just kind of going with all my heart. But like, wherever you are, realize that whatever hurts us hurts you too, fam. Don't think, and for those Nigerians or African immigrants who came to the U.S. and think they're free, whatever hurts us hurts you and back and vice versa. Whatever hurts them hurts us. Because the reality is that now we've become more of a global community. We're all part of the mix. And again, like I said before, they shoot first and ask questions later. They don't care whether you come from the States or not. If you come into the States, if you're coming from the States to Nigeria and you're protesting because you believe that's the right for people to have voices and you were out there on Tuesday, they didn't ask whether you were from America or not. They were shooting. Ask whether you were westernized or not. They were shooting. It's dark. These are some dark days. These are some dark days, y'all. But these are some days that we'll never forget. And those people that have died, RIP to them. RIP to their family. May they never die in vain. May they never die in vain. May they never die in vain. We must act. I'm not saying act in violence. I'm not saying act in any of that. We must step up and realize the same potential that we display that made them, that led them to this frustration, that led them to be able to get into this heinous act that is still ongoing. We must continue to show that. We must continue to distribute our resources, to invest in ourselves, to show the world that we can do this. Please, stop asking for white people to come and say, we don't need nobody, except for our brothers and sisters in all in the diaspora and all over the world, our black brothers and sisters. We need y'all because this is your home. Africa is bleeding. There's no other country in Africa, no other country that you can consider a developed nation. Why? Because they've always put the foot on our neck and they've done it for years. And we haven't stepped up and now that we're stepping up, now that the world is watching, we must act and we cannot refrain, we cannot retreat. People who are dying are martyrs. May they live forever. May the cause go on forever until the, until the objective has been reached. These are dark times, y'all. And from a transnational perspective, the trauma is real. It's affecting us. We can't focus. We can't think. We're stressed. Stress here, we're stressed there. Our minds are there, but our minds were also here having to deal with the drama. So we have to continue to rely on our brothers and sisters. We cannot. If they want to be silent, let them be silent, but understand that it affects them just as much as it affects y'all. The motherland is bleeding. Our mother home is bleeding. Our mother continent. Is bleeding, we must, we must save her. We must help her. And that's all I gotta say, y'all man. There's so much more I could say. I could drop two episodes or whatever about this, but I just felt like I just felt like venting. I felt like coming out and saying something and just speaking my mind. I, I didn't have anything written, I didn't have anything outlined or nothing like that. It's just just free thoughts. Free thoughts.